This is Talking Dirty, Get Gardening's podcast for plant lovers. The video version is available on our Get Gardening YouTube channel, so you can head over there if you want to see our ugly mugs, and there are pictures of the plants there as well. There are full plant lists on our Twitter and Instagram at Get Gardening Now, so go check those out. But without further ado, let's start Talking Dirty. Hello and welcome to episode 62 of Talking Dirty. Over at East Ruston Old Vicarage, all patterned and bathed in sunshine, we have Alan Edward Herbert Gray, our happy and very handsome horticulturalist. And bathed in pink over in Cambridge, we have Thordis Maria Sophia Friedrichsen. How are you today? <laughs> I am very well. I'm a little demob happy because I'm about to have uh, a holiday. So excuse me if I get overly giddy. Also very excited to talk to a couple of young propagators. This week on the podcast, we're catching up with just two of the members of the vast and very exciting Young Propagator Society, or YIPS. So we have, it's kind of like boxing, in the blue corner, we've got Georgia, in the red corner, we've got Soham. Welcome to the podcast, guys. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. So happy to be here. Now, we, we don't often have two guests, so this could descend into mayhem and complete chaos, but we'll do our best to stop that happening. Let's go around and get some middle names. Georgia, do you have a middle name to share? I do. It's Georgia Francis. Oh, nice. Diet. Very nice. Very ever serious. Get, ever get called Franny? Fran? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I was going to be Constance Francis, so I think I avoided that one well. <laughs> I don't know, named after Constance Spry. That'd be a good... That's true. That's very true. Good, oh. good horticultural oh. one. <laughs> Soham, what about you? Do you have any middle names? I do. I'm Soham Sadashev Gakkar. That sounded fantastic. Can we have that again? <laughs> uh, Soham Sadashev Gakkar. I, it's a random name. I think my parents just picked it because they liked it. <laughs> well, I mean, random names. Hello. Uh, I think... <laughs> cornered that one now we're really lucky to have got you guys in the same country because Soham you're normally based in India yes I'm usually based in New Delhi I I'm studying there and I've lived there all my life <laughs> so a bit of a different climate to what most of us are used to growing in oh yes um actually I was talking to Georgia the other day and uh, when I landed in England I was I felt this overwhelming feeling of complete botanical illiteracy <laughs> because I know nothing about the plants here. <laughs> I'm all used to the subtropicals and the tropicals. So, Ham, you were telling me you were really excited. You got really excited because you saw some yew arrows. Like you, you just saw some of the red and you got really, really excited to see them. <laughs> yeah, I, I've never seen you in person before. So I saw the little red berries and I got really excited because I'd only seen them in pictures and illustrations. And the person showing me around was like, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, isn't that lovely, though, seeing our quite boring uh, flora in like completely new eyes? Definitely. Yeah. I always think that's actually the nice thing when you go on holiday. And Alan, you've obviously travelled all over the place um, with, with kind of gardener's eyes. So when you kind of get off the plane or you arrive somewhere, you get off a ferry, you do start looking around and quite boring wildflowers suddenly become very exciting. Yes, because you haven't seen them before. Um, and it's the, it's the excitement of the new, like Sohan just said, you know, never seen a yew berry before. <laughs> and he was really excited to see it. Well, that's I can understand. But, you know, so I have your pictures here. That they've got squiggles all over them, I'm sorry, because I had to do some writing to search that I sound like I know what I'm talking about. And some of the things <laughs> I had heard of, um, mm -hmm. for instance, bauhinia. Um, yes. I've, tri I've tried to grow bauhinia from seed that I've bought, and I've never been able to grow it. Um, oh, really? Yeah, but you're going to tell me it's oh. very... I suppose. We're going to get some tips, I think. So the reason Alan's got all these pictures is because Soham doesn't have anything to show and tell because he's in the wrong country. So very cleverly, he's managed to gather together photos in advance so that we all know what he's talking about. So expect some really beautiful pictures on the video version of this podcast to tie in with Soham's show and tell. Uh, Georgia's got a plant uh, to show us as well because uh, she's in the right country. Um, but before we get into the, the real planty, the serious geeky plant, part of the podcast I'd love to know a bit more about the Young Propagator Society I am delighted that something like this exists at all but how long has it been going and how did you two get involved Georgia let's start with you 
So it's been going since, um, I think it's since January 2020. Um, so not really a hugely long time. Um, I think I've got my years right. It gets confusing recently, doesn't it? Yeah, I've yeah. missed out a year completely. Um, and it was started by um, Ellie Pay and Sophie Cook, who um, were both working in propagation um, nursery roles. Um, and now uh, Sophie is so busy with all the other amazing things she's doing um she's sort of less active with yips but um but ellie is still very much at the helm um then i think soham and i both joined at the same time um at the beginning of this year which seems crazy when i think about everything that's happened since then um so i can say i can tell you our, our, we have a mission which is in three parts the first part is about uh in disseminating propagation knowledge through the generations and I should say it's through, it's not down <laughs> and it's not up either. <laughs> um, the second part of our mission is to encourage more young horticulturalists into nursery and propagation roles and Yay. basically promote that. Um, and the third part, very important, is a bit more general and it's just to inspire learning of all areas of the natural world. So that one's quite broad, um, but yeah, covers a lot, which covers a lot. And yeah, I joined to do events and I'll let Soham talk about yeah, his experience as being on the team, YIP's team. Sure, yeah. Um, I've just been sort of on the creative team for YIP's and we recently launched our website, uh, which is a really nice sort of community and place for people to um, just sort of, I mean, geek out over plants, really. I mean, it has all sorts of people on it. I mean, we have people who have um, a little more experience with horticulture, people like Ellie, and we have a bunch of nursery people from all over the UK and beyond. And there are then people who are just sort of starting out with plants and have lots of questions and uh, are trying out things for the first time. So I've sort of been coordinating the website a little bit. We have blog posts that go up fairly regularly. And um, yeah, we have a social media page. I mean, we, we're on Instagram, which is sort of how it started out. I think um, Ellie sort of started out on Instagram. That was our main platform. And we've sort of spread from there. I've just been there to sort of help out wherever I can. <laughs> yeah. Being characteristically modest there. So um, <laughs> stepping in to fill gaps all over the place. We should probably give a shout out to um, our other, other than Ellie, our other two team members. Harriet, who yeah. built the website, um, and Daniela, who joined us to be financial advisor, um, but also does lots of creative advising too. And you organised some great stuff, like um, you had this Roots and Radicals event. Um, I mean, what a great <laughs> name for an event, Roots and Radicals. Uh <laughs> and it's really important that we note that it's Radicals, R-A-D-I-C-L-E. <laughs> But yes, the double meaning is there. Um, so yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned that because um, yeah, of course I'm very excited about this because this is the events bit, which is what I do. Um, and we started it in just the end of the summer. We've had two events so far. Well, I can tell you all about it, but I don't want to barrage you with stuff. So I'll let you ask what you want to know about it. No, well, well first of all, I mean, great title. And, and I think when you first told me you were organizing it, I thought it was going to be like an entirely online kind of virtual event, but you got, you got to go and see plants and have amazing tours. Absolutely, absolutely. So as Soham said, we've got the website, which is kind of, and our, and our social media, um, which is kind of the virtual space for people getting together and geeking out over plants. But we, we did quite early on, we thought it's really important that we just meet up in person. You know, the whole basically every part of our mission is to get people together and you know get yeah but get people together and talking and things happen from that that are sort of magical and so um so we were very committed to wanting to do it in person and we have managed to do that um so yeah it's very exciting and the whole idea is to have them we are going to try to have them monthly um from now on you're gonna be very busy we've got, we've got one plan yeah we've got one planned for october so i think we'll be all right um we had yeah we had sort of a couple and at the beginning and end of august rather than september just the way the days fell um and we're, the whole point is to to sort of travel around the uk and have them at different venues around the uk because we don't want to just be sort of london centric about it that's where i live so that's where the first two were but um <laughs> especially with travel being easier and so on well 
yeah. go and meet YIPS members all over the UK. And for people who can't come to the events at all, uh, maybe they're abroad like Soham, um, but don't want to completely miss out. Um, after each event, I do a write-up, which is a bit more than a write-up because there's sort of audio clips and video clips as well from the events. So you don't miss out completely. And where did you go? Um, so far, so our, our first event was at um, Chelsea Physic Garden. Um, it was so exciting to be there. We had two incredible speakers and one from Chelsea Physic Garden, Jess Snowball, who's the Glasshouse Manager. Um, and also, I should say, an amazing tour from uh, some other members of her team um, who took us around not just the kind of seed storage and propagation areas, but also like really cool places to see, like just where everyone hangs out and has tea. <laughs> you can spy on what books they're reading and so on. And we also, yeah, so we also had Tom Freeth um, from Kew, head, head of Alpines from Kew, giving a talk as well. And then our second one that we had um, was at the Brockwell Park Community Greenhouses which is again, an absolutely amazing space. And we had their talks from Carol Wright, who's a kind of community gardener, creative activist, you know, extraordinaire, force of nature. <laughs> um, and also Richard Choksi, who is um, another cue trained person. Ooh, a theme. Um, <laughs> but, um, but also now does a lot of writing um, and he's a natural historian, environmental natural historian. Um, so that was a bit of a different one. Again, we're trying to have different sort of themes and different things at each one. Um, funnily enough, I, I bumped into, this is a kind of small garden world thing. Um, Kate, who's the director of the Brockwell Park Community Greenhouses. Um, well, I bumped into Kate last week when I was on holiday in Dorset. <laughs> <laughs> and we couldn't believe it because we only met a few weeks ago and of course we bumped into each other not just at a garden but at the plant sales <laughs> the garden so we bumped into each other in the shop at Ford Abbey it was really funny oh lovely Ford Abbey <laughs> what did you buy oh um I bought quite a quite I, I shouldn't say ordinary I bought a geranium um Macrorhizum, Bevan's variety, but smells so lovely. And I just needed to plug a sort of dry shade gap. So I thought that would work well. Oh. Uh, but Kate, Kate got much more than me. <laughs> I'm not to shame her. <laughs> I love it. Shamed by having all the planty purchases outed on the Talking Dirty podcast. Oh, well, it's, I mean, I'm so pleased that the Young Propagator Society is, is getting all the, the knowledge sort of passed around uh, people. So, Soham, of course, being in India, I suppose you've only been able to virtually enjoy these events so far. Uh, yeah, actually, the last one, I mean, I was, I interacted with it through Georgia. It was really good. Like, those write-ups are fantastic. And, I mean, uh, the videos and audio and like you really feel like you have a little taste of the event and which obviously really makes me want to attend one while I'm here <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I actually despite having been with the Ips for almost a year haven't met any of them in person ever so another bucket list thing to do while I'm here <laughs> plants and people bringing them all together and talking of plants we should uh, start talking about some of them now I know Soham you sent us quite a lot of pictures so I think we should start with some of yours and then we'll go on to a physical plant with Georgia and maybe come back to some more of your virtual plants I mean these are real plants by the way they're just <laughs> they're virtual for the <laughs> podcast um so I mean how how long have you been growing Soham because you certainly grow some extraordinary things um, so I've actually been sort of fascinated by plants, by growing them since I was, I think, 14. Um, but uh, yeah, I've sort of always, my approach to plants and gardening has sort of always been very experimental. Um, I just sort of like growing whatever I can get my hands on. And um, <laughs> there's no order. It's complete chaos. And <laughs> I've never... I've never really had a garden garden as in like a space in the ground. I've, I live in the middle of the city. And so I've always grown on a balcony um, with like hundreds of pots <laughs> and it, it's, it's a, it's a mess, but uh, it's a tropical exuberant mess, which oh. I don't mind. <laughs> oh, we love that. <laughs> <laughs> so different. I mean, like you, you may or may not know that Alan has 32 acres of soil to uh... fantastic 
to play with. So we can all have a lot of acre envy, but um, maybe you the most with uh, with your balcony. It's amazing though, what you can achieve with container gardening um, and a balcony. So- um, Absolutely. I mean, a bit of a watering nightmare, I'd have thought. A little bit, yeah. Um, we do get quite hot and dry in the summer, so um, do need to stay on top of watering, otherwise everything starts looking quite unhappy. Uh, but I've also had the opportunity to um, apprentice at a sort of uh, several, not several, two uh, rather interesting locations uh, in India, where which have given me the opportunity to sort of diversify my uh, the plants that I have interacted with and grown. Uh, one of which was uh, the Oroville Botanical Gardens in the south of India. Um, I mean, they're just sort of like, they're very close to the coast. They have a brilliant climate, uh, beautiful, like beautiful range of plants from all over the world. So, I mean, I was just like in paradise there. I, I was growing lots of stuff. In fact, some of the plants I've got to share are plants that I grew over there. Oh, wow. Well, let's start with one of those then. Uh, what, right. what would you like to talk about? Um, so all the plants that I sort of brought with me today um, are ones that have some sort of interest um, on the propagation side of things, since I am uh, representing the Young Propagator Society today. Um, so let's start with actually, I think my aim was to sort of highlight um, all the many different ways in which propagation can happen. And um, just, I mean, there's an amazing diversity out there. Um, so let's start with uh, ferrocactus. It's this gigantic barrel shaped cactus, um, I believe from South America. Uh, it's called ferrocactus peninsulae. And it actually produces these sort of uh, prune sized fruits um, all over the barrel. And it actually has this, um, it gives sort of live birth. It's called viviparry. And the seeds actually germinate while they're still in the fruit. Um, so if you cut open a fruit, it's filled with little baby cacti <laughs> instead of seeds, <laughs> which is quite fantastic, actually. Um, I was quite blown away when I first cut one open because I was expecting seeds, uh, but that's not what you get. <laughs> and um, it's interesting from a propagation standpoint, because if you try to propagate the little baby cacti, they don't work that well. So uh, because I, I, I'm not sure actually why, uh, maybe I think it's the sort of dark inside of the fruit that, I mean, isn't a very suitable climate or like a microclimate, but uh, it works much better if you actually pick this fruit while it's a bit raw and just get the seeds before they've terminated. It's a bit of a race against time. <laughs> so um, what, what actually happens? I mean, I'm, I'm looking at this picture that um, you uh, thought is very kindly sent me. And I'm suddenly, I'm sort of thinking this is, like a birth chamber it's, these yeah. are like birth chambers <laughs> so what you're saying is you need to pick them before they're properly ripe the seed and do you take the seeds out before they've made small cacti yeah yeah so um what happens what, if you leave them on the on the mother plant um the, the fruit the wall of the fruit is too thick for anything to break through so i think they ah. just sort of all grow inside and die inside yeah i mean yeah that's how it sort of works that's that's very interesting because you know there are certain plants that we grow in England where you you almost to get good germination you almost want to take the seed while the seed is still green before hmm. we traditionally think it's ripe um for instance right. the the um have you heard of the Himalayan blue poppy yes mechanopsis yes yeah, yeah. well we that to get good germination with that, we have to take the seed while it's really still green. And we think ah. it's not ready, but it is ready. And the mm -hmm. same thing goes for your uh, ferrocactus peninsulae. Yeah. Uh, you've got to get, get in there. And that's, that's quite, the thing is, what I'm trying to say is that's where Yips comes in because that's a piece of knowledge that you can yeah. impart to everybody, not just in Yips, but around the world. And then we'll all have gigantic <laughs> barrel cacti. <laughs> I sense I sense a, a, a post podcast request for Alan to do a feature for our zine about propagating mechanopsis. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> I think Alan could do a lot of features. <laughs> 
He's also very photogenic <laughs> and very good on video. Just, just saying, uh, <laughs> if you ever need anything. Um, I am fascinated though by, I always think it's really lovely to sort of see how things work in the wild. And obviously that often informs how you grow it, but it's fascinating how there's obviously something that happens in the wild that enables that plant to succeed with some of those baby cacti actually growing. Yeah, I think I, the fruits are edible. I've eaten them. <laughs> so uh, I think they're eaten by birds in the wild, which sort exactly. of end up dispersing the seeds. But um, obviously, when you move it from South America to South India, the bird that eats it is probably not around. Yeah. So that job is left to nimble-fingered horticulturalists. I certainly <laughs> want to so, so you want to watch it because you'll have cacti coming out your ears if you <laughs> I think that'd be quite a good look for a member of the Young Propagator Society. <laughs> That's the dream. <laughs> well, you certainly started strong with your first bit of show and tell, Soham. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Where do we go after a, a cacti that produces live babies? Well, I think we'll go to Bohemia, um, which Alan was familiar with. Um, Alan, which species did you try to grow? The pink one, which uh, is... Varigata, probably. I think so, yes. I don't yeah. know where I managed to get the seed from, but I don't think I mean, it could have been me. So I'm, I'm not saying it wasn't, but it's either that or the seed was had lost its viability. I don't know. Um, yeah, Bohemia's. Um, so the reason I chose Bohemia and actually my show and tell is the entire genus, or at least the, <laughs> the, the plants of the genus that I have grown. They're, they're quite common in India. We have lots of lots of different species, which are pretty common in cultivation. They're very, very popular as garden plants, very floriferous uh, throughout the dry summer months. So, I mean, obvious showstopper. Uh, but I think the reason I picked those was because they're a really good genus to highlight how just within a particular group of plants, you can have like an incredible diversity of propagation options. And it, it's not always that obvious uh, which one to use on which species. Uh, which is, again, where something like the Yips is so useful because um, it's a, really a platform to share information and um, have it out there so that other people can also use it. Um, so four, there are four species that I think I sent across. Um, so Varigata, the pink one, is uh, one of the most common in India. And that is pretty, I mean, uh, we usually propagated from seed. Um, seed does have to be fresh, though it works better if it's fresh. So perhaps your seed was not uh, as maybe it had lost viability. Yeah. Um, and another one, uh, Tomentosa actually, named because the leaves are hairy. Um, and they smell like curry, incidentally, uh, <laughs> which is just a fun fact. <laughs> um, that one doesn't seem to set seed very often in India, um, at least not in cultivation. Um, I think it depends on whether we have pollinators around. It, I have seen it setting seed, but it's not very common. So that one we typically do from air layers, um, which I found work quite well on that one. Um, and there's another species, which is actually not a shrub or a tree. So Varigata was a tree, um, Tomentosa is a shrub, and Valiae, um, which is, I think it's been reclassified as Fanera now. It's not in Bohemia anymore. Um, but that one is this giant tropical climber, which is crazy because <laughs> what that just is unexpected. But <laughs> it's this giant woody tropical climber that sort of um, we get in forests up north and it sort of smothers everything. It's a little bit invasive, actually. That one comes really well from softwood cuttings if you want to propagate it, but also seed. <laughs> <laughs> Be careful. Yeah, I know it's me. I'm looking, yeah. I just have to, let me just interject for a moment, please, because I'm just looking at Bohemia valii. Uh -huh. And I mean, I can see that there's two wonderful flowers open in the picture that you've sent. Yeah. And they are, to me, they are absolutely glorious. I mean, I, I, I look at that and think, I want it. They're <laughs> brilliant. It, it's a pest. <laughs> I can see behind the two flowers that are open, there's masses of flower buds. So yeah. I have a huge panicle of, of 
flowers. It does. It it flowers in sort of large clusters, and it's interesting yeah. because the flowers open white and age to yellow. So ah. they open white on day one, and by day three, I think they become a deep sort of amber saffron color, um, and then they die. Um, is, do you think that is because they change color when they've been pollinated, so that the pollinators know not to go to that mm. flower because I've been done. I'll go to a fresh one. Do you think? I'm not entirely sure, actually. I would have to look that up. Yeah. <laughs> well, interesting some, question. Sometimes we have we have honeysuckles in England that open to cream and then they fade fade to sort of yellowy orange, and that mm -hmm. happens when they've been pollinated. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. In my garden, just next to me. Oh. <laughs> I was really interested in the one you said, the one before, was it Tome and Tosa you said was good from air layering? Yeah. Yeah. So um, I think it was you, wasn't it? You did a really good post on the Yips website about the kind of basics of air layering. Yeah. It's one of the most magical seeming propagation techniques, isn't it? It's just, yeah. One that it I've is. never tried yet. So, so <laughs> it's over, over to you, because you're going to have to give us a, just a very brief um, resume of, of how, how one air layers. Um, well, air layering is sort of, um, I, I started off air layering on citrus plants. Um, yeah. There's a giant lemon tree in my dad's backyard and that was sort of my uh, test subject <laughs> to learn air layering. Um, but it's a process where you actually induce a plant or a stem to put out roots while it's still attached to the plant. So as opposed to conventional layering where the stem would be bent down to the ground and sort of staked in and covered with soil so that it produces roots, air layering, you actually make a little incision along the stem and you wrap it up with a little bundle of sphagnum moss or substrate. I use vermiculite usually. And so from that scar, the place that you made an incision and I, you usually peel off a bit of the top layer to expose some of the growth tissue. Uh, but basically from that point, it produces roots into the little bundle of substrate that you've tied. And um, then you can actually just snip below the bundle, unpack it and put it into the ground after a couple of months. It's quite, it's quite cool, actually. <laughs> You've made it sound so easy, Sohan. <laughs> well, I think that's a fascinating thing because in England at the moment, we have this huge resurgence in houseplants. I mean, everywhere you go, there was even a houseplant garden at the Chelsea Flower Show this year. Um, and I think that air layering is one of the things that... Um, possibly lots of people could try because you know they maybe they don't have propagation facilities as such in their flats or houses but they could try air layering because you can actually root a, another plant while it's still on the mother plant if that makes sense absolutely yeah it works really well for lots of species of house plants actually ficuses being one of the most mm. obvious examples yeah so yeah. It's actually great for getting people into propagating. I think houseplants, the fact that so many young people are now getting into houseplants is great for that because they are generally very easy to propagate, even if you just cut some bits off because they're getting too rampant and stick them in a bottle of water or something, you're likely to get new plants out of it. And as we often say with gardening, success tends to make you want to try other things. And and therefore, yeah. if you keep, if people are kind of growing these nice plants and having success, then hopefully they might set off on a propagation route you you don't know how right you are Thordis because that's very very relevant to the plant that I've I've brought for show and tell <laughs> well that was a nice segue <laughs> <laughs> yeah this is this is certainly a, a, a screen filling plant yes I'm going to go and start moving the monster <laughs> Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Wow. <laughs> it really does fill the screen. Yes, and it's filling the air with this delicious smell as well. I think I'll have to put her here <laughs> on the edge and I'll just peer through <laughs> like a dungle. <laughs> I'm a bit worried it's sort of going to tip my table over. <laughs> there we are. <laughs> this is Lady Plymouth. <laughs> Well, welcome uh, to the podcast, Lady Plymouth. 
yeah. <laughs> Welcome, lady. She's a Pelagonian, a like a fairly common one. I was feeling a bit um, embarrassed about my show and tell when I saw what Sohan was bringing. Um, and considering, you know, this is Yips, I thought, oh, I'm bringing a Pelagonium. It's quite, it's quite a common one. But I do love her. Oh, no, look. <laughs> Leaf in front of face. Yeah, she's a bit of a, you know, attention seeker. But I really love Pelagoniums for, partly for exactly the reason you just gave. I have to say first, I am a young propagator. I'm not, I'm not really into that. I don't really like houseplants that much. <laughs> Feels like a guilty secret. <laughs> especially as they're getting, you know, as you say, they've been getting, you know, they've been so popular, especially with kind of younger people. And that now that it feels like they're getting the attention they deserve at places like Chelsea. And I just, I can't get on board with them. I just, I do understand if that's the only option you have, of course, I think I would hey, be, but- Hang on, I can't have this. Like. <laughs> Look at the little turtles. How can you yes. not, how can you not be excited about the tiny <laughs> turtles? They are those are wonderful. Those are wonderful. They, Georgia. They are lovely. Georgia, I think probably the reason is you haven't found the house plant that's that's in your heart yet. That's but possible. You will. But I think one of the things about Lady Plymouth and her relatives with these wonderful scented leaves is that they were terribly popular in large Victorian houses. Um, because they're they're reasonably hardy. They'll you know they they they'll they won't take frost as such, but they're reasonably hardy. And people used to grow them in these huge conservatories. And then the Victorian ladies would swish past in their voluminous dresses, and they brush against the the leaves of Lady Plymouth and her friends, and they're releasing this wonderful scent mm -hmm. into the air. Um, and you know, in those days in Victorian England, um, smell smells were not always pleasant. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, once again, the perfect segue, because I have to say, I, I moved house, um, I was living in Canada last year, and I'm back in back in England, and I had a garden for the first time, which is probably also why I became less interested in bothering with houseplants, because I had space to grow outside ones. Um, and we had a bit of a drain smell, <laughs> and I thought, Pelagoniums! <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Lady Plymouth to the rescue. Lady Plymouth to the rescue, indeed, like a sort of thunderbird. What was it, Lady Penelope? Um, she's so fantastic, but I first, but I first grew to love Pelagoniums for exactly the reason you were saying, Thordice, about, you know, I had, I had someone, I lived in a flat and I had a balcony, but barely a balcony. And I had just exactly pinched off a few sprigs to bring inside uh, in a glass of water and was, you know, thought I was like God's gift to propagation when a few weeks later some roots appeared. <laughs> and that was, you know, part of the beginning of my love affair with propagation and with plants generally, because they're so rewarding. Exactly. They I mean, obviously, they look amazing as plants. So unfussy. I've had mine outside. I'm probably going to. I live in London, so I'm probably going to test the waters. Might leave a few. Yeah, I think you probably could get away with a few. You probably yeah, would get so. away with, with with a few. But I was just going to say to you that there's another variegated pelagonium called Phyllis, and Phyllis <laughs> has has rather nice um, carmine flowers. But and the variegation is much more pronounced on Phyllis. But she's an absolute devil to root. So they're not all easy really? warned. Yes. <laughs> oh, so I shouldn't take it personally if Phyllis isn't obedient. No, if I... if, if you should take it personally if you're very <laughs> successful. <laughs> That's a good way to think of it. If, if I propagate it, I'm a genius. If I yes. don't, it's the plant. It's yeah. the plant. Yes. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is also interesting because we, I mean, in the garden here, we've just, we have two propagation houses. Um, one with a mist bench and one with a warm bench. Um, and we could just, we've just, this last two weeks, we've just washed them inside and out, cleaned all the rubbish out. Um, and, you know, we're ready to launch into our huge main propagation period of the year because we grow lots of tender plants. Um, so Ham, do you have Brugmansia in India? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, you have them probably growing as trees. Um, yeah, they get quite large. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I've got them in pots and we, we, I always take cuttings from them every year, but our big ones that we've got in pots outside, they're in huge containers, actually, as big as a table. Um, and they're probably, they're probably carrying about 250 flowers on each of them as I speak. And, and, wow. so, and thought is, yes, you can have a photograph. <laughs> 
that's the kind of things that we propagate. And so we need all the different ways of propagating. And I'm going to try air layering now after, after Soham um, put it so eloquent, eloquently that it sounds terribly easy. I bet I, bet I won't. <laughs> that's, like, <laughs> that's the great thing about propagation, isn't it? Well, uh, yeah, again, as Soham was saying, all the different ways there are to do it. But also, you know, I mean, I've learned so much from just from Yips too about how there is so much difference of opinion about all sorts of things. One of the features we have in the zine is a sort of interview and, you know, we ask the same questions to different people. So things like, you know, do you believe in rooting hormone or what, yeah. like, what substrate do you like? And the answer, you know, you get really like strongly different opinions, but we're all about <laughs> celebrating all of them. <laughs> it's very interesting. You should have mentioned rooting hormones because I was listening to, um, uh, in my ears, Christopher Lloyd's, I think it was The Adventurous Gardener, or one of his early books. Um, and he explained an awful lot about propagation. And he was talking to a friend of his um, and said that certain plants were very difficult to propagate. And, and the chap said, his friend said, no, they're not. And he said, well, I use rooting hormone powder. And he said, well, is it fresh? And Christo, being of a parsimonious nature, had to say, no, it's approaching 20 years old. <laughs> And he'd been using the same pot for 20 years old. And he said, I, I had to force myself to go and buy a new pot. And I have to say that my friend was completely right because the, pro, the pro, plants that I thought had been difficult to propagate with fresh rooting hormone, they were not, no longer difficult. Amazing. Yeah. It is true, though. I mean, the world of horticulture, so many different opinions on, so, and you know, what works one person might not work for another. And it's, But sometimes... It is magic and you do need some very specific temperatures, light, darkness, different substrates, whatever. So being able to share all of those tips and tricks, very, very exciting and very important. Um, yeah. I, I also love this. I mean, we are always pretty nerdy on this podcast, but this is definitely next level and it's making me very happy. <laughs> <laughs> I also noticed that Bauhinia, Bauhinia variegata mm -hmm. is used in cooking. Um, it is. Yes. And then they, they, do you know how they do it? Well, um, this is, I've, I've never actually eaten anything made from Bohinia variegata, but um, I do know that the flowers and the buds in particular yeah. are pickled. Um, yeah. They make a pickle out of them. They also make a curry out of the buds as well. Or at oh, least I haven't heard of that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Like a good way to deal with your invasive plants. Yeah. This, this reminds me of when someone told me that apparently you can eat Japanese knotweed. Really? I mean, yes. Apparently it's edible, like sort of a, sort of you know poor man's asparagus or something. Not just that. I think it's been recently discovered that it, if it's if it's included in a medicine, it can can help to treat quite a few major diseases. Oh. Wow. I feel yeah. like I should do that sort of disclaimer. We do not yeah. encourage yeah. you to go <laughs> any Japanese. Japanese knotweed <laughs> into yourself. Yeah. For the COVID no, it's remedy. a very specialised business and it has to be done by a pharmaceutical factory, I think. There we go. Just don't eat mm. it. Just in case you blame us. We don't want to get sued. <laughs> <laughs> now, Soham, I've slightly lost track of, uh, of where we've got to with your show and tell. Right, but... Um... Actually, what you were saying last um, was, a, again, very good segue into my next two plants. <laughs> um, you were talking about very specific sort of temperatures and conditions and substrates. But um, to offer a contrasting opinion, um, propagation is very often just like complete trial and error. And um, I think I've, I've had my fair share of... <laughs> brushes with trial and error and uh, often complete failure but um, at some other times I mean unexpected benevolence uh, from whatever I'm trying to propagate. Um, two sort of uh, plants fall into this category in my show and tell. Um, one of them is actually a species of wild ginger uh, that grows in the foothills of uh, the Himalayas, where we usually spend summers in India. Um, and uh, it's called Zingiber chrysanthemum. Um, nothing to do with chrysanthemums, but oh well. Um, <laughs> and 
I actually, um, I saw, just when I was hiking one day, I saw these sort of extraordinary red fruiting bodies just sort of coming out of the ground. No leaves, no flowers, no nothing, just this sort of red fruit on the ground. Um, and it has these, like, I'm sure you'll have a photo up on the screen, but it has these sort of rows of white fruits inside, which look eerily like teeth. <laughs> um, and it's actually quite a weird um, experience to see it because some, I mean, my first response was, oh, it's like a dead animal or something. <laughs> and then I took a closer peek and it was these fruits of this ginger. I didn't know at the time it was a ginger, but I sort of looked it up later. Um, but I collected seeds and I was very excited because I had never grown any sort of ginger from seed before. And I was really, really eager to try. So I read up a bunch of websites and I did my research and um, leafed through a bunch of books and um, came up with like two or three different ways of propagating them. So I soaked some of them. I treated some of them with hot water. I scarified some of them, filed them down with a nail file and like all different sort of things. And I very carefully labeled them into pots and everything and put the dates on them, you know, like full setup. Um, but so, and then I just waited sort of one month, two months, three months, four months, nothing happened, no, no signs of life whatsoever. So I took all of these pots and I just sort of emptied them back into um, some other tray that I was planting up. And I actually happened to plant that tray with larkspur because I was planting winter floods. And then come February next year, this was around September or August when I had planted these seeds. And come February next year, there's these gingers popping up through my larkspur. And I had no clue which treatment worked because I mixed them all up. And I was... And like ginger in profusion like my larkspur was outnumbered <laughs> <laughs> so I have no clue now what to sort of I keep a diary or like record of everything that I grew and how I grew it but I have no clue what to write next to this like what do I write <laughs> you have to do, you'll have to do it again so um <laughs> I, I will I will <laughs> you know sometimes sometimes seedlings can can catch us out because I once sowed some seed from a particularly um, good form of a variegated arum and all the seeds came up with green leaves. And I thought, well, this is no good. And I threw the whole <laughs> lot away. And then a friend told me, but they don't get variegation on the seedlings until they're two years old. Oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> so you, see, you do learn by these mistakes. So it's, it's, you know, yeah. it's quite interesting. Absolutely, yeah. And... Um, Oftentimes, you, you may try all the fancy techniques, but it might just be like neglect that gets yep. something to grow. I mean, it's it's crazy. <laughs> I love how um, we managed to cover kind of air layering, softwood cuttings, <laughs> and now just luck <laughs> when it comes to just luck. <laughs> <laughs> but luck has luck has a has a part to play, I think, in this as well. Because I remember when I was a small boy, there was an, an old lady in the village. And she was particularly good at growing Daphnis from seed. And I'm thinking, I think it was probably Daphne Miserium. And she was very good at growing. And she gave people plants throughout the, the village, you know, if, only if they were churchgoers. Like <laughs> 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 she didn't get anything. But she was very good at doing this. And, and I know from experience that growing Daphnis from seed is a long, slow, quite laborious process. And I think what she must have had was extreme patience um, because it does take a long time to get a, um, a decent sized plant. So, um, yeah. Absolutely. And I mean, uh, my my last plant for show and tell is sort of definitely drives home the point of luck um, because actually, so this is a tiny little herb from the pea family um, called yeah. Ches Chesnia cuneata. Um, it's, it's, it's a weed I later found out, <laughs> uh, but I found it growing quite dramatically actually um, on some granite cliffs uh, when I was trekking two summers ago in Ladakh. Um, and I thought it was some brilliant rare species. Of course, I didn't know at the time that it was like pretty much 
not at all relevant. Um, <laughs> and it actually go- grows quite a bit in the high altitude regions in India. Um, but so I collected a, a single seed pod because the plant I found had only one sort of seed pod on it. And it looks sort of like a constricted pea. Um, and I put it in my pocket of my pants, uh, which had a zip on it. So I shut the zip and then I conveniently forgot that it was there. Um, for So I came back to Delhi from my trip and the pants went into the washer and um, seed pods still there. And it must have been probably a month before I put those pants on again. And I reached into the pocket and there was the Chesnia <laughs> seed pod. <laughs> and... Um, it had since opened and released the seeds and there were about six of them. So I had six seeds and I decided to give it a spin anyway. And I, I put the seeds into a pot and they did end up germinating because I mean, um, it does grow quite readily. Most, I mean, it, Fabacy, it's quite straightforward, I think in most, in most cases. Uh, but again, like, I had no clue what to write next to that <laughs> plant because I was like, put in washer, <laughs> then try germinating. Yeah, exactly. I had like at that first Roots and Radicals, Tom was telling us all about smoke treatment for seeds, you know, from, you know, like protease, protease and that, well, was it protease? Can't remember, but smoke treatment. But yeah, I've never heard of washing machine treatment. <laughs> then also you've got to like, what detergent was it? Was it on 30 degrees, 40 degrees? Was this a short wash, a long wash? <laughs> Is that relevant? <laughs> well, certainly a variety of propagation methods included in your show and tell, Soham. You did very well on that front. <laughs> I think what I love about this is, yeah, I mean, I wonder whether sometimes when you read really kind of long, convoluted guides to propagating something, like I wonder whether somewhere along the line with kind of knowledge being passed from one person to the other, some of these weird eccentricities have got passed on and someone's just gone, better just put down washer anyway, just in case. (laughs) (laughs) Well, particularly if it's something really hard to grow. I mean, once you'd worked out, it was basically a weed, you're thinking, oh, it's going to grow anyway. But actually, if it was something that was really difficult to propagate, you begin to wonder, hang on a minute, was a 40 degree hour long soak (laughs) what it needed to... (laughs) get it going oh this this has been so much fun um wonderful show and tell whether it was a fantastic pelagonium uh of stately proportions (laughs) totally strokeable and totally centered all this amazing array from india which i'm sure alan's gonna have a little bit of flomo about we always like to squeeze in some flomo before we wrap up a podcast and it's basically because that's how i live my life just going around seeing plants seeing flowers and thinking i want to grow you just give me loads of, of, of fear of missing out um so let's let's go around and see what everybody's got to bring to the table so georgia what's your flomo so, um, as you can imagine, very difficult to narrow it down to, you know, anything. I've, I've narrowed it down to two. I hope I'm allowed to. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think I mentioned last year I was living in Canada, um, which, you know, gave me the opportunity to fall in love with a whole new collection of plants. Um, and there are a couple of Canadian plants that now I just really, really want. Um, one is one that I'd already encountered before, actually at Chelsea, in 2018 I went back and found the photo in 2018 at Chelsea and I can't remember which stand it was someone had a Cornus canadensis and it's just so cute I don't know whether you know it looks sort of you know that the leaves and flowers are sort of like you know Cornus florida you know it's sort of those lovely perfect little uh, um, arrangement of, of, of very nice green and very nice white with the green center and these um, yeah I saw it at Chelsea tried to find it in the years following couldn't really find it didn't have anywhere to grow it and then in Canada last year I was on a hike and I was walking along and then I realized that what I was trampling underfoot was lots of Cornus canadensis in a state of habitat. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the, the passion was ignited again and now I'm absolutely set on finding that. Oh, it's so lovely. And also it has, uh, well, after the flowers, it has these lovely bright red berries. Oh. So it's just, it's just very cute. Um, and my other Flomo plant um, would be 
something a little harder to find, I think, than Cornus Canadensis. I think I would take at this point any trillium, trillium of any kind. <laughs> I would love the ones with the really amazing, um, you know, splotchy foliage, but any trillium. <laughs> I don't know. Have you, have you, do either of you? Well, wow. I, I somehow doubt trilliums would be that happy in India, but I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't think they'd be happy in India, but they'd be happy. I hope they're going to be happy in my garden because I've just bought some. Oh, um, well, they, they arrived in August, in actual fact, which is the correct time to, to move them around and things. Um, and I found a lady that's been growing trilliums from seed. Wow. And she gets these and you know that they're um, slow. <laughs> well, they're, they're sort of understory woodland plants, aren't they? Um, so yeah. they like they like a, a quite a lot of shade, not complete shade, but dappled shade. So you get shafts of sunlight coming through occasionally. So I've organised a piece of garden for that and I'm gradually building up a collection of them. Um, oh, and I just think that they are um, such lovely plants. They're expensive when you buy them because from seed to flowering can be as long as 10 years. It's yeah. normally round about five, but it, you know, some of the rarer ones, it can be 10 years. And that 10 years of looking after a plant before you can sell it has got to be paid for, for goodness sake. Yeah, you know? so, absolutely. Yeah, so that, that they, so I'm, I'm hoping I'm going to get a nice collection of them. So which is, your, which is the one you've just acquired then? Oh, goodness me, I knew you'd say that. <laughs> <laughs> well, there were, there were five different ones, Georgia, and I can't remember. <laughs> I'm sure they're all beautiful. <laughs> I have to tell you though, Alan, I mean, obviously, yeah, you're completely right about the, about what they prefer, you know, how they grow. And I, ha I didn't see them in the wild in Canada, but where I did see them very kind of irritatingly was all over people's front gardens, like yeah. we have daffodils, you yeah. know, just randomly. And they weren't fussy in Canada. They were growing in full sun. They were growing in hard, <laughs> scrubby li little bits of dry soil. It's just, yeah. Another thing, Georgia, like, it makes you sick. <laughs> it does. It's the opposite. So, well, I suppose it's similar to, to Soham being really excited about seeing you. It's just, yeah, traveling and seeing these plants. I was going to mention actually that um, when, way back when you asked me how I got into Yips and we were talking about Instagram, that's actually how I, how Ellie found me and how I came to join the team because I, I hope it's okay. I'm not plugging it, but it's so relevant. I run a, a different Instagram account called the Lockdown Gardening Archive, where I do profiles of gardeners from all over the world. And this, that what's happening now, people being excited about what in the, the home country is a very boring plot happens all the time. People <laughs> growing amazing things and people going, oh, that's just, you know, a weed in my back. <laughs> <laughs> That sounds like a great one to follow. We're all, always happy for gardening related plugs on this podcast. Uh, Soham, what's your FLOMO? Um, I think a plant that I've wanted for a really long time is uh, the bat flower. I'm yes. not sure if people have heard of it. It's um, Taca, Taca Chantieri, I think is the Latin name, or Taca Integrifolia, um, either one. Uh, but it's this really cool sort of black flower with two white bracts that look like bat wings um, and the reason I want it actually is uh, firstly the the foliage is beautiful it's like a peace lily foliage sort of bold tropical large leaves but also I don't think people know exactly how it pollinated in the wild um, so it, I really want to see the flowers up close um, so yeah that's that's one that I really wanted to grow <laughs> oh amazing this is another reason why I like having FLOMO as a feature is the vast array of uh, things that people want to grow. Black flowers is actually a bit relevant to my FLOMO, which is also a pelagonium. So bringing all the strands together. Uh, and this is one I shared with Alan. Uh, I WhatsApped over saying, I don't know if you've got this, but I really want it. And it's a pelagonium gibbosum maroon. And mm. the maroon there kind of gives you a hint because the edges of the little petals, so little starry pelagonium flowers, um, and the edges are like a deep, dark, blackish purple. And then the center is, is a creamy yellow. Wow, that sounds amazing. Sounds beautiful. So, yeah. And I think if you live near Derry Watkins at Special Plants, I think she might have some on her nursery, but she doesn't post them out. So I don't live near Derry. So I haven't <laughs> been able to go and get one. But Time for a road trip. Yeah, it, it just, um, yeah, that looked amazing. You know, like you're scrolling through Instagram and then you just go. <laughs> I think it was Christoph Howell on Instagram. I have to thank for that. So thank you for posting it. 
and uh, hopefully, you know, get a photo on screen so everyone can see it on the, the video version of the podcast. And then I always leave Alan till last because then there's no danger that he'll show us all up. Uh, what's your <laughs> flow-mo this week, Alan? Well, one of them comes from today and talking to Soham, actually. Um, but the, the one that I had written down before that, Audis and I were lucky enough to be at the Chelsea Flower Show on Press Day. And there was um, a stand there which was called Surreal Succulence. Um, and the guys there, they live in Penzance in the very southwest of, of uh, England. They have crossed Semper Vivums or house leeks with aeoniums. To which give is... you a symponium. I mean, what a great thing. <laughs> it sounds like an orchestra. I'm going to give you a symponium. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they're, what, what, they're, what they're, they're hoping is that the progeny from the cross will be like, look like aeoniums and be hardy. Um, and that was, if they can stand some frost, that would be a great help to many, many English gardeners that love them. Now, my second one is from you, Soham. It's Kingala Africana. And I, oh. <laughs> yeah. I want to say I know this from somewhere, but I can't remember where. Now, whether I've tried it from seed at any point or not, I don't know. But it's known as the sausage tree. But can you tell us a little more about it, please? Yeah, Kigelia is actually not native to India at all. Um, it's an import from Africa. Uh, um, and it's a beautiful, large, um, low-branching tropical shade tree. It's called a sausage tree because uh, the fruits are sort of these really large. Um, I think they can weigh up to like five kilos. Ooh. And um, they're these huge, huge sausages. And actually the only place I know it planted in my city um, is... Unfortunately enough, um, <laughs> there are six trees in a parking lot, <laughs> so <laughs> not very convenient because uh, there's always sort of this looming gigantic fruit <laughs> hanging above your car, which you're really hoping doesn't fall down. Uh, but I recently actually found one on the ground, luckily not on anyone's car. Um, <laughs> and um, I opened it up and I actually do have if they're still alive in my absence, I have an entire tray full of little Kigelia seedlings now. Oh, lucky um, you. <laughs> so, yeah, I wish I could send you some. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, it's a spectacular tree. They're beautiful. Really large. Also, these fleshy maroon flowers that sort of hang down on spikes. They're very beautiful. Yeah. Well, I, I think, think Kew Gardens has a tree. Well, then, uh, I might be able to get seed from there then, because I'd love to try it. I've got a tall glass house, which I call the Pelagonium House, because I have a large collection of old fashioned Pelagoniums um, and uh, like Lady Plymouth, of course. <laughs> and um, I would very much like to have a go at growing that in there. So, uh, you know, three seeds in an envelope would be very useful. So. <laughs> <laughs> it would certainly make a difference in the uh, car park at East Ruston Old Vicarage to crab apples. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you'd live outside. You'd have to live under glass, I think. It's a shame. <laughs> oh, thank you so much, you two, for coming along and just sharing so much planty joy for the last hour. It has just been so much fun. Well, I think that, I, I, I think that the enthusiasm that you two have shown is is outstanding. I mean, we didn't know what to expect. We we, we were sort of rather preparing ourselves the other day when we were talking about it. What if they don't talk? Because young people can sometimes be quite shy. Thank God you can talk. <laughs> and no risk of that. No risk of us not talking. Well, it's been an absolute joy to meet you both. And I mean, and such, you know, diverse plants from, from the continent of India and to, to Canada, to England. It, it's been wonderful. Thank you both very much. And we're also now going to go and see yew trees and feel full of fresh wonder seeing them as if with new eyes. <laughs> Thank you so much for having us. Thank Not you. at all. You're, you're very, very welcome. How do people come and join the Young Propagator Society? Well, you don't have to do anything. To, well, you can sign up on our website, can't you? I'll let Soham do the website bit. <laughs> I was just about to say something completely wrong there, so... <laughs> No, not at all. Um, there's a form on our website which you can fill up and um, that's it. You're a part of YIPS. <laughs> um, very yeah, easy. And, uh, very easy, very easy. Um, yeah, and you can follow us on Instagram and uh, that's about it, yeah. 
I was going to say it's really important to mention that um, it's free to join YIPS yeah. and our, our zines as well are free. I mean, we do have a, you know, ways to donate if you want to support us. Um, but same with the events, we, we want to keep them free to attend or accessible to attend because, yeah, we really want to encourage everyone to feel that they can join and get excited about horticulture, get excited about propagation. It's a great idea to make them free. Let's just spread the magic of propagation. And I am sure that the Young Propagator Society will be making a repeat appearance on Talking Dirty. But for the time being, thank you very much for your time, for your plants, for your knowledge, for your general enthusiasm and joy. And happy gardening. Happy gardening. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Hey, Thordis here. Just to say thank you so much for listening to Talking Dirty. You are now officially our favourite person. If you really liked it, please do subscribe because we'll be back for more plant-loving mayhem next week. And as you're our new favourite person, we don't want you to miss out. If you've got a question for Alan and the experts, you can email it to hello at getgardeningnow.co.uk. So happy gardening and we'll see you, oh favourite person, next time.